Section 19 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Yu Qing in Singapore. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2 by Cao Xueqing. Translated by Henry Bancroft Jolly. Chapter 34, Part 2. At the sight of Madame Wang, in the disconsolate mood, Xiren herself unconsciously grew wounded at heart, and as she wept along with her, Mr. Secundus, she ventured, is your ladyship's own child, so how could you not love him? Even we, who are mere servants, think it a piece of good fortune when we can wait on him for a time, and all parties can enjoy peace and quiet. But if he begins to behave in this manner, even peace and quiet will be completely out of the question for us. On what day, and at what hour, do I advise Mr. Secundus? Yet I can't manage to stir him up by any advice. But it happens that all that crew are ever ready to court his friendship, so it isn't to be wondered that he is what he is. The truth is that he thinks the advice we give him is not right and proper. As you have today, madam, alluded to this subject, I've got something to tell you which has weighed heavy on my mind. I've been anxious to come and confide it to your ladyship, and to solicit your guidance, but I've been in fear and dread lest you should give way to suspicion. For not only would then all my disclosures have been in vain, but I would have deprived myself of even a piece of ground wherein my remains could be laid. Madame Wan perceived that her remarks were prompted by some purpose. My dear child, she eagerly urged, go on, speak out. When I recently heard one and all praise you secretly behind your back, I simply fancied that it was because you were careful in your attendance on Bao Yu, or possibly because you got on well with everyone, all on account of minor considerations like these, but I never thought it was on account of your good qualities. As it happens, what you told me just now concerns, in all its bearings, a great principle, and is in perfect accord with my ideas, so speak out freely if you have aught to say. Only let no one else know anything about it, that is all that is needed. I've got nothing more to say, proceeded Shiren. My sole idea was to solicit your advice, madam, as to how to devise a plan to induce Mr. Secundus to move his quarters out of the garden by and by, as things will get her all right then. This illusion much alarmed Madame Wan, speedily taking Siren's hand in hers. Is it likely, she inquired, that Bao Yu has been up to any mischief with anyone? Don't be too suspicious, precipitately replied Siren. It wasn't at anything of the kind that I was hinting. I merely expressed my humble opinion. Mr. Secundus is a young man now, and the young ladies inside are no more children. More than that, Miss Lin and Miss Bao may be two female maternal first cousins of his, but albeit his cousins, there is nevertheless the distinction of male and female between them, and day and night, as they are together, it isn't always convenient, when they have to rise and when they have to sit, so this cannot help making one give way to misgivings. Were, in fact, any outsider to see what's going on, it would not look like the propriety which should exist in great families. The proverb appositely says that, when there's no trouble, one should make provision for the time of trouble. 
How many concerns there are in the world of which there's no making head or tail, mostly because what persons do without any design is construed by such designing people as chance to have their notice attracted to it, as having been designedly accomplished, and go on talking and taking till, instead of mending matters, they made them worse. But if precautions be not taken forehand, something improper will surely happen, for your ladyship is well aware of the temperament Mr. Secundus has shown all along. Besides, his great weakness is to first in our midst, so if no caution be exercised, and the slightest mistake be sooner or later committed, there will be then no question of true or false. For when people are many one says one thing and another, and what is there that months of that mean lot will shun with any sign of respect? why if their hearts be well disposed they'll maintain that he is far superior to buddha himself but if their hearts be badly disposed they will at once need a tissue of lies to show that he cannot even reach the standard of a beast now if people by and by speak well of mr secundus we'll all go on smoothly with our lives but should he perchance give reason to any one to breathe the slightest disparaging remark, would his body, needless for us to say, be smashed to pieces, his bones ground to powder, and the blame which he might incur be made ten thousand times more serious than it is? These things are all commonplace trifles, but one Mr. Secundus' name and reputation be subsequently done for for life secondly it's no easy thing for your ladyship to see anything of our master a proverb also says the perfect man makes provision beforehand so when does it be better that we should this very minute adopt such steps as will enable us to guard against such things your ladyship has much to attend to and you couldn't of course think of these things in a moment and as for us it would have been well and good had they never suggested themselves to our minds but since they have, we should be the more to blame did we not tell you anything about them, madam. Of late, I have wrecked my mind both day and night on this score, and though I couldn't very well confide to anyone, my lamp alone knows everything. After listening to these words, Madame Wan felt as if she had been blasted by thunder and struck by lightning, and, as they fitted so appositely with the incident connected with Jing Chang'er, her heart was more than ever fired with boundless affection for Siren. My dear girl, she promptly smiled, it's you who are gifted with enough foresight to be able to think of these things so thoroughly. Yet did I not also think of them, but so busy have I been these several times that they slipped from my memory. What you've told me today, however, has brought me to my senses. It's thanks to you that the reputation of me, his mother, and of him, my son, is preserved intact. I really never had the faintest idea that you were so excellent. But you had better go now. I know of a way. Yet, just another word. After your remarks to me, I'll hand him over to your charge. Please be careful of him. If you preserve him from harm, it will be tantamount to preserving me from harm and I shall certainly not be ungrateful to you for it. Siren said several consecutive yeses and went on her way. She got back just in time to see Bao Yu awake. Siren explained all about the scented water, and, so intensely delighted was Bao Yu, that he at once asked that some should be mixed and brought to him to taste. In very deed, he found it unusually fragrant and good, 
but as his heart was a prey to anxiety on Dayu's behalf, he was full of longings to dispatch someone to look her up. He was, however, afraid of Siren. Readily, therefore, he devised a plan to first get Siren out of the way by dispatching her to Baochai's to borrow a book. After Siren's departure, he forthwith called Xing Wen. Go, he said, over to Miss Lin's and see what she's up to. Should she inquire about me, all you need tell her is that I'm all right. What shall I go empty-handed for? rejoined Xing Wen. If I were, at least, to give her a message, it would look as if I had gone for something. I have no message that you can give her, added Bao Yu. If it can't be that, suggested Xing Wen, I might either take something over or fetch something. Otherwise, when I get there, what excuse will I be able to find? After some cogitation, Bao Yu stretched out his hand and, laying hold of a couple of handkerchiefs, he threw them to Xing Wen. These will do, he smiled. Just tell her that I bade you take them to her. This is strange, exclaimed Xing Wen. Will she accept these two half-worn-out handkerchiefs? She'll besides get angry and say that you were making fun of her. Don't worry yourself about that, laughed Bao Yu. She will certainly know what I mean. Xing Wen, at this rejoinder, had no help but to take the handkerchiefs and go to Xiaosang Lodge, where she discovered Chun in the act of hanging out handkerchiefs on the railings to dry. As soon as she saw her walk in, she vehemently waved her hand. She's gone to sleep, she said. Xing Wen, however, entered the room. It was in perfect darkness. There was not even so much as a lantern burning, and Dai was already ensconced in bed. Who's there? she shouted. It's Xing Wen, promptly replied Xing Wen. What are you up to? Dai inquired. Mr. Secundus, explained Xing Wen, send you some handkerchiefs, miss. Dai's spirits sunk as soon as she caught her reply. What can he have sent me handkerchiefs for? She secretly reasoned within herself. Who gave him these handkerchiefs? She then asked aloud. They must be fine ones, so tell him to keep them and give them to someone else, for I don't need such things at present. They're not new, smiled Ching Wen. They're of an ordinary kind and old. Hearing this, Lin Daoyu felt downcast, but after minutely searching her heart, she at last suddenly grabbed his meaning, and she hastily observed, Leave them and go your way. Ching Wen was compelled to put them down, and turning round, she betook herself back again. But much though she turned things over in her mind during the whole of her way homewards, she did not succeed in solving their import. When Daoyu guessed the object of the handkerchief, her very soul unawares flitted from her. As Bao Yu has gone to such pains, she pondered, to try and probe this dejection of mine, I have, on one hand, sufficient cause to feel gratified, but there's no knowing what my dejection will come to in the future there is. On the other, enough to make me sad. There he abruptly and deliberately sent me a couple of handkerchiefs, and, were it not that he has divined my inmost feeling, the mere sight of these handkerchiefs would be enough to make me treat the whole thing as ridiculous. The secret exchange of presents between us, she went on to muse, fills me also with fears, and the thought that those tears, which I am ever so fond of shedding to myself, are of no avail, drives me likewise to blush with shame. And by dint of musing and reflecting, 
her heart began in a moment to bubble over with such excitement that much against her will her thoughts in their superabundance rolled on incessantly so speedily directing that a lamp should be lighted she little concerned herself about avoiding suspicion shunning the use of names or any other such things and set to work and rubbed the ink soaked the pen and there wrote the following stanzas on the two old handkerchiefs vain in my eyes the tears collect those tears in vain they flow which i in secret shed they slowly drop but for whom though the silk kerchief which he so kindly troubled to give me however could they not with anguish and distress fill me the second ran thus like falling pearls or rolling gems they trickled on the sly daily i have no heart for aught listless all day am i as on my pillow or sleeve's edge i may not wipe them dry i let them dot by dot and drop by drop to run freely and the third the coloured thread cannot contain the pearls covering my face tears were of old at xiaoshang shed but faint has waxed each trace outside my window thousands of baboons law also grow but whether they be stained with tears or not i do not know lin dai was still bent upon going on writing the feeling her whole body burn like fire and her face gilding hot she advanced towards the cheval glass and raising the embroidered cover she looked in she saw at a glance that her cheeks were so red that they in very truth put even the peach blossom to the shade yet little did she dream that from this day her illness would assume a more serious phase shortly she threw herself on the bed and with the handkerchief still grasped in her hand she was lost in the reverie putting her aside we will now take up our story with xi ren she went to pay a visit to pao chai but as it happened pao chai was not in the garden but had gone to look up her mother xi ren however could not very well come back with empty hands so she waited until the second watch when pao chai eventually returned to her quarters indeed so correct an estimate of xue pan's natural disposition did pao chai ever have that from an early moment she entertained within herself some faint suspicion that it must have been xue pan who had instigated some person or other to come and lodge a complaint against pao yu and when she also unexpectedly heard xi ren's disclosures on the subject she became more positive in her surmises the one who had in fact told xi ren was pei ming but pei ming too had arrived at the conjecture in his own mind and could not adduce any definite proof so that everyone treated his statements as founded partly on mere suppositions and partly on actual facts but despite this they felt quite certain that it was xue pan who had intrigued xue pan had always enjoyed this reputation but on this particular instance the hum was not actually his own doing yet as every one with one consent tenaciously affirmed that it was he it was no easy matter for him much though he might argue to clear himself of blame soon after his return on this day from a drinking bout out of doors he came to see his mother but finding pao chai in her rooms they exchanged a few irrelevant remarks i hear he consequently asked that cousin pao yu has gone into trouble why is it 
Mrs. Xue was at the time much distressed on the score. As soon as, therefore, as she caught this question, she gnashed her teeth with rage and shouted, "You good-for-nothing, spiteful fellow! It's all you who are at the bottom of this trouble, and do you still have the face to come and ply me with questions?" These words made Pao Yü wince. "Why did I stir up any trouble?" he quickly asked. "Do you still go on shaming?" cried Mrs. Xu. "Everyone knows full well that it was you who said those things, and do you yet prevaricate?" "Were everyone," insinuated Xu Pan, "to assert that I had committed murder, will you believe even that?" "Your very sister is well aware that they were said by you." Mrs. Xu continued, "And is it likely that she would accuse you falsely, pray?" "Mother," promptly interposed Pao Ch'ai, "you shouldn't be boiling with brother just now. If you wait quietly, we'll find out the plain and honest truth." Then turning towards Xu Pan, "Whether it's you who said those things or not," she added, "is of no consequence. The whole affair, besides, is a matter of the past." So what need is there for any arguments? They will only be making a mountain of a molehill. I have just one word of advice to give you: don't, from henceforward, be up to such reckless mischief outside, and concern yourself a little less with other people's affairs. All you do is day after day to associate with your friends and foolishly gad about. You're a happy-go-lucky sort of creature. If nothing happens, well and good. But should by and by anything turn up, every one will, though it's none of your doing, imagine again that you are at the bottom of it. Not to speak of others, why I myself will be the first to suspect you. Xu Pan was naturally open-hearted and plain-spoken, and could not brook anything in the way of insinuations. So, when on the one side, Pao Ch'ai advised him not to foolishly gad about, and his mother on the other. Hinted that he had a foul tongue, and that he was the cause that Pao Yü had been flogged. He at once got so exasperated that he jumped about in an erratic manner, and did all in his power by vowing and swearing to explain matters. Who has he ejaculated, heaping abuse upon everyone, laid such a tissue of lies to my charge? I'd like to take the teeth of that felon and pull them out. It's clear as day that they shoved me forward as a target. But now that Pao Yü has been flogged, they find no means of making a display of their zeal. But is Pao Yü forsooth the Lord of the Heavens that because he has had a thrashing from his father, the whole household should be fussing for days? The other time he behaved improperly, and my uncle gave him two whacks. But our venerable ancestor came after a time, somehow or other, I don't know how, to hear about it. And maintaining that it was all due to Mister Jiajun, she called him before her and gave him a good blowing up. And here today they have gone further, and involved me. They may drag me in as much as they like. I don't fear a rap. But won't it be better for me to go into the garden and take Pao Yü and give him a bit of my mind and kill him? I can then pay the penalty by laying down my life for his, and one and all will enjoy peace and quiet. While he clamoured and shouted, he looked about him for the bar of the door, and snatching it up, he there and then was running off to the consternation of Mrs. Xu, who clutched him in her arms. "You murderous child of retribution!" she cried. Whom would you go and beat? Come first and assail me.
From excitement, Xuepan's eyes protruded like copper bells. What are you up to? He vociferated. That you won't let me go where I please, and that you deliberately go on calumniating me. But every day that Bao Yu lives, the longer by that day I have to bear a false charge. So it's as well that we should both die, that things be cleared up. Bao Chai too hurriedly rushed forward. Be patient a bit, she exhorted him. His mamma, in an awful state of despair, not to mention that it should be for you to come and pacify her. You contrary rise, kick up all this rumpus. Why, say nothing about her who is your parent, or even a perfect stranger to advise you. It would be meant for your good. But the good counsel she gave you has stirred up your monkey instead. From the way you are now speaking, Chopin rejoined, it must be you who said that it was I. No one else but you. You simply know how to feel displeased with me for speaking, argued Baochai. But you don't feel displeased with yourself for that reckless way of yours of looking ahead and not minding what is behind. You now bear me a grudge, Chopin added, for looking to what is ahead and not to what is behind. But how is it you don't feel indignant with Bao Yu for stirring up strife and provoking trouble outside? Living aside everything else, I'll merely take that affair of Jing Trangers, which occurred the other day, and recount it to you as an instance. My friends and I came across this Jing Tranger ten times at least, but never has he made a single intimate remark to me. But how is it that, as soon as he met Bao Yu the other day, he at once produced his sash and gave it to him, though he did not so much as to know what his surname and name were? Now is it likely, forsooth, that this too was something that I started? Do you still refer to this? exclaimed Mrs. Xu and Bao Chai, out of patience. Wasn't it about this that he was beaten? This makes it clear enough that it's you who gave the thing out. Really, you're enough to exasperate one to death, Chopin exclaimed. Had you confined yourself to saying that I had started the yarn, I wouldn't have lost my temper. But what irritates me is that such a fuss should be made for a single Baoyu as to subvert heaven and earth. Who fusses? shouted Bao Chai. You are the first to arm yourself to the teeth and start a row, and then you say that it's others who are up to mischief. Xuepan, seeing that every remark made by Bao Chai contained so much reasonableness that he could with difficulty refute it, and that her words were even harder for him to reply to than were those uttered by his mother, he was consequently bent upon contriving a plan to make use of such language as could silence her and compel her to return to her room, so as to have no one bold enough to interfere with her speaking. But, his temper being up, he was not in a position to weigh his speech. Dear sister, he readily therefore said, You needn't be flying into your hub with me. I've long ago divined your feelings. Mother told me some time back that for you with that gold trinket must be selected some suitor provided with a jade one, as such a one will be suitable match for you. And having treasured this in your mind, and seeing that Bao Yu has that rubbishy thing of his, you naturally now seize every occasion to screen him. However, before he could finish, Baochai trembled with anger, and clinging to Mrs. Xu, she melted into tears. Mother, she observed, have you heard what brother says? What is it all about? Xuepan, at the sight of his sister bathed in tears, became alive to the fact that he had spoken inconsiderately, and, flying into a rage, 
he walked away to his own quarters and retired to rest. But we can well dispense with any further comment on the subject. Bao Chai was, at heart, full of vexation and displeasure. She meant to give vent to her feelings in some way, but the fear again of upsetting her mother compelled her to conceal her tears. She therefore took leave of her parent and went back all alone. On her return to her chamber, she sobbed and sobbed throughout the whole night. The next day, she got out of bed as soon as it dawned, but feeling even no inclination to cover her chablure or perform her ablutions, she carelessly adjusted her clothes and came out of the garden to see her mother. As luck would have it, she encountered Daiyu standing alone under the shade of the trees, who inquired of her where she was off to. I'm going home, Xue Baochai replied, and as she uttered these words, she kept on her way. But Daiyu perceived that she was going off in a disconsolate mood, and, noticing that her eyes betrayed signs of crying, and that her manner was unlike that of other days, she smilingly called out to her from behind. Sister, you should take care of yourself a bit. Were you even to cry so much as to fill two water jars with tears, you shouldn't heal the wounds inflicted by the cane. But as what reply Shibao Chai gave is not yet known to you, reader, lend an ear to the explanation contained in the next chapter. End of section 19 Recording by Cao Yuqing in Singapore